Welcome to Meandering Through the Madness number 8, Mike the Manic Mechanic and Mental Well-Being. Kyla and I interviewed Mike Fillinger last week. He told us a story of how he was uh, forced to deal with mental illness, how he triumphed over it, and how he came out the other side. He is now looking for ways to help others through similar situations. You could call him a physical and mental health fitness coach. Now, this story has some disturbing themes and events that listeners may find would be too much for them to listen to. But there is so much that we can learn from this story. I really think that almost everyone should know more about uh, the difficulties that other people might be facing. And one of the ways that we can we can learn what others might be going through is to listen to stories like Mike's. It, it's not easy to face some of these issues and to know that they exist in the world. But at the same time, I feel that it's really important to bring them to light. Welcome to Meandering Through the Madness 8. Um, we have a guest with us this evening, Mike, the Manic Mechanic out of Rocky Mountain House. Um, today's topic is going to be on the importance of mental health. Welcome, Tim. Welcome, Mike. Welcome. Uh, awesome introduction. Thank you. <laughs> All that for nothing. Thank you, Kyla. <laughs> Thank you, Kyla. Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. We're excited to have you. So let's just, I guess, cut to the chase of mental health. Mental health. <laughs> so let's go by mental well-being because mental health um, is pretty common now with if, with um, psychology and psychiatrists. So early stages of um, mental health would be mental well-being. So how are you doing on a daily basis before it turns into a, uh, a serious state of crisis or, or, um, clinical, clinical, um, diagnosis. So let's go with mental well-being, what we can do on a daily basis to keep ourselves operating and functioning, um, well. That's, that's great. Proactive. Yes, exactly. So it's just like a vehicle. Like for myself, I don't, I don't know where you want to start with this, this whole, um, uh, talk, but I can give you a little breakdown of what my experience as as growing up as a child. Um, my my grandfather was was um, diagnosed with schizophrenia when he was in his um, I would say in his 60s or so. He came from Germany just as a child through World War II. So, mm-hmm. and same with my grandmother. So they came from Germany in World War II. So uh, they got married in Germany and they moved to Canada when they were in their 20s. So so I guess they had to deal with the aftermath of the psychological trauma that they had to deal with in Germany. So And um, I guess they had a little bit of genetics too in the, their family side too. Mm-hmm. But um, with myself, um, it didn't, uh, it didn't uh, arise uh, for me until I was, uh, 27. My childhood was pretty well, 
pretty good. My parents were, were a traditional Catholic, and they raised me quite well with uh, the Ten Commandments, the Bible, and churches, church on Sunday and stuff, which which brought me up well. And I was from a family of 11. I'm the fourth oldest and the only, only left-handed kid in the family. So, <laughs> so I took that as being special. <laughs> I'm left-handed but, uh, as well. Oh, here we go. There's three left. There's three lefties here. Tonight. Are we all left-handed? That's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. so <laughs> well, left, left is right, right is wrong. That's right. Here we yeah. go. Let's take over the world. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's funny. But uh, so as as growing up as a child, it was really good. I, I was able to do the things that I wanted to do, like ride my bicycle and and work on it. And when I got older, I. I got involved with working on motorcycles, snowmobiles, and then eventually got a job at the local bike motorbike shop, working on customers, customers' um, quads, and so on and so forth. And then by the time I was 20, I was um, had my license as a motorcycle mechanic. So I went to uh, college when I was 17 and finished when I was 20. And I knew what I wanted to do, and I did it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, by the time, by the time when I was in Red Deer, by the time I was 20, I was working there at uh, a local shop there. And, um, I was doing well. I got in, I was a very good friend with my coworkers and stuff. And, and I got involved with uh, a gym in the, the local area in Springbrook. And uh, I just really loved it because it was a small, secluded little gym at the, it was, uh, I think maybe about 1,500 square feet or so. And uh, the people were pretty friendly there, and it was really good. I started training there for about two years, I think, uh, just to stay active after hours. After work, I'd go and work out and for an hour or so, and I'd come home and, and have lunch. So I had a really good routine, so everything was routine-based and structured, and everything mm-hmm. was in order, so I didn't have I didn't have anything thrown into my... my uh, my health so stress levels were low i was able to manage whatever came across work Mm -hmm. and then um i decided by the time i was 22 i decided well it's time to settle down and have a family and stuff because uh i wanted to have kids because i love children uh they make me laugh and make me feel young and and i like being a big show off (laughs) (laughs) so uh so i married a a girl from uh, from the, the church down in Calgary and uh, we dated for about six months and I didn't really know too much about her because I didn't I didn't um, talk I didn't talk to her a much like maybe twice twice or three times a week but I would only seen her every weekend so it was kind of a relationship wasn't really really um, we didn't get into big arguments or did big deep discussions or anything like that Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so when I got married, I just been a good, good, uh, husband and provided and really started getting involved with re- making more money and getting ahead in life. Like everybody else does, like make more money and buy nicer and newer things and very materialistic. And, and I went on a spiritual retreat after my firstborn was came and I did a lot of rethinking about my life and in the future. And it made me realize that the material things weren't really making me happy. I was gaining them, but it wasn't satisfying me as much as I would hope it would be. Right? You always you get what you 
you get what you work for and stuff and and it still didn't make you happy right it still it filled that didn't fill that empty void so uh, after i got back from that spiritual retreat which was about a week long i decided to meditate on the um passion of christ so i lasted i decided to meditate on the passion of christ for an hour for a whole year and that really opened up a whole channel of uh uh, of emotions and uh, lit a lit a fire in my in my soul and and driven to help more people to be more I guess Christ like and more in depth with God and His creatures and creation. Um, so after saying that for a year, I was addicted. I said, "Oh, I have to do it again." So I did it for another three years. So by the time I was 25, every night I would go from work to home, have supper, and then about 8 o'clock I'd meditate from 8 to 9. And then uh, I did that for three years. And after the third year, in October, I finished the third year. And within that, I was slowly getting into a deep, deep depression because I'd see people how I was used to be. I was really upset how I was in the past. And I started realizing how everyone else was. And it just opened my eyes um, with um, the the materialistic uh, realm of this reality of what we make ourselves, like the like uh, houses, cars, vacations, and stuff like that. Uh, wh- how it makes us what we want to do and make us feel good. Mm-hmm. So it made me really, really depressed, <clears throat> and even into a point of um, uh, a really low, low depressed um, state. So it had almost had the point of no hope. Like, why is why is there? What's the meaning of life? So then uh, I was I was really depressed about my job because it was the same same cycle there too. I noticed. So I was being more co- conscious my of my job, my surrounding, and, and how the reality of this this world was operating. That it was all personal gain and stuff, and it didn't help. It was uh, to gain from other people, right? It was not no giving, and mm. it was just taking. <clears throat> so um, after that, I uh, I ended up going um, into a psychosis. Um, my wife was online on the computer looking through houses and and stuff, and she found this business of uh, this ATV touring business out by Cochrane, and uh, I was kind of caught kind of curious and we went to meet the owner and he told me all the wonderful things that he was doing with it he was taking people out on quad trips from people that he worked with or he he uh, man- networked with like Sobeys and Canadian Tire and other corporations that rewarded their employees for doing good jobs right so if they mm-hmm. did good work then for them for our trip out west and go for a, a quad trip right they got mm-hmm. to drive their own quad and stuff so i thought that was really good you know they're rewarding people for their hard work right so i thought that would be great and as a motorcycle mechanic i could kill yeah you know, do two things at once right i could be able to fix the quads when they broke down in the evenings and mm-hmm. run the touring business in the in the daytime right and mm-hmm. i'd still be in the wilderness right mm-hmm. so i was connected with nature and uh so i got pretty excited and i tried to find whatever means possible to buy this buy this business so i was calling my relatives and stuff and asked them for if they would uh um fund this 
fund this idea, this plan and stuff. And I got turned down by practically all of them. And I had two properties at the time in Springbrook. And I thought, well, if I sell both of them, I can use that for a down payment of the business and the, the property. And uh, I ended up not sleeping for two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that led me into the, into a major psychotic episode. And uh, one night I was thinking about the, how I can be able to raise these funds. And, and then I started having these, these um, hallucinations about certain things that I'd listened to in the past. So, or watched like um, they had that global warming um, video that came out in 2006 with um, okay. that one president. Al Gore. Yeah. Al Gore, yeah. So, yeah, that's the one. So I was thinking about that, that and the global warming, how it's getting so hot and stuff and all this other stuff. So that was really fueling the mania. And I was thinking, well, all we have to do is, you know, reflect the sunlight. It's like we've got to find ways to reflect the sunlight. And what's the best thing to reflect the sunlight was clouds, right? So we had to produce, uh, in my mind, I was producing like, okay, we're going to find a way to steam, you know, produce steam. So I was like, okay, well, stale, po- stale ponds that were like sewage and whatever, just, you know, use natural gas, whatever, to heat them up and produce clouds and steam, and the cloud would cover the sunlight and bring the temperature down on the earth, right? So that really triggered my uh, the mania and the psychosis, and then I was starting laughing hysterically at night, and my wife elbowed me and told me to go downstairs so she could sleep. So I went downstairs and paced back and forth in the living room and had all these ideas and racing thoughts and stuff. And, and then I started, um, then I started, uh, uh, hallucinating. So I had this big idea. I had this, uh, overwhelming feeling of fear. So with all these answers that I had in my head that I had to present, or I felt like I had to present to somebody, I had this overwhelming feeling of fear that I'd be crucified like Christ on a telephone pole, which really got me really scared. And I was pacing back and forth through the living room, and and uh, I looked in the mirror, and I, I I I saw that I was sweating blood, just like what I read meditated on the past three years on Christ, how he in his in his uh, um, um, agony agony mm-hmm. agony in the garden, right? So sweating yeah. blood, right? So I was like, well, I've seen that too. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm really gonna suffer like Christ. So it's like, well, my goodness, I said, whatever will happen, will happen. I'm, I have to do this. I have to reach out and, and, and show, and show people that we can, you know, change our, change our lives and habits. And, uh, so I had an appointment about seven o'clock in the morning with a lawyer about some hail damage that went through Springbrook in 2006 in the summer. So we're doing the hail damage. So I took this business plan and showed it to a lawyer and I was really persistent with the lawyer saying, this has to be done. This has to be done. And, and of course, when you're in a state of mania, um, you got rapid speech, racing thoughts, flights of ideas. So what what does take place in a space of mania, I guess, like what goes on? Well, you've got a pressured speech, so you're really persistent. You don't take no for an answer. Um, you're really convinced that this idea or these ideas will change uh, the direction of mankind. So mm-hmm. uh, it could uh, it could um, 
have the solutions, but in in that alternate reality, um, it uh, it's it's not falls it does not fall into the laws of physics or uh, or or um, of natural laws, right? So, mm. so common sense is out the window. Yeah, common sense is out the window. So, and after that appointment with the lawyer. I went home to have breakfast and I calmed down a bit, but not too much. I didn't really want to express how I felt towards my wife. And at that time, my mother-in-law was there, so I didn't want to scare them. So I just was calm and quiet. And then after I went to work and I was very suspicious about my boss because just the way he was looking at me, he was feeling sick himself, like physically. So his, his facial expressions weren't that pleasant. Because he was suffering with mm-hmm. um, maybe the flu or something at that time, but but I thought he knew something. I could feel like he was reading my mind, mm-hmm. so I was very suspicious about him. And that whole day was just—I was scaring the heck out of my poor uh, <laughs> my poor coworker in the back. He was very very uh, shaken and very disturbed. The other coworkers up front didn't know what was going on, and and I was ordering everybody around like I own the own the shop and by the end of the end of the night about six o'clock I felt like I was in an episode of Star Wars and I had to use my torque wrench or the lightsaber and were you and seeing these things like they were real or it was yeah well I was sensing that the, the, the cold weather is like it was in the episode of uh the second episode, so when it was really, really cold, it was in January, so it was a cold spell that just came in, cold wind came in, lots of snow, and and it was cold, out minus 30 or so, and I thought I had to dress really warm, like like uh, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo, and Luke Skywalker had his lightsaber, had to cut open that whatever animal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Tauntaun. <laughs> Tauntaun, whatever, <laughs> yeah, so, so I had to use my torque wrench as a, as, a, as the lightsaber, but anyway, so I went to my vehicle, and it's like, and my boss came up to me, uh, and he uh, he came to me and approached me and said, "Are you doing all right?" And he took my torque wrench around because I was pretty aggressive with it. I could have used it as a club or whatever. And uh, he said, "Get in, get." He told me to get into his truck, so I got into his truck. And he says, "Where do you want to go? You want to go to the home or the hospital?" And when he said the hospital, I knew, I knew the whole day was just. I was so wired and so excited, and by the six o'clock, I was starting to get exhausted. Because I didn't sleep for three weeks, so I was pretty well burnt out. And so it's like it all come to a head. Yeah, I was starting to come to a head, and I finally told him to take me to the hospital in Red Deer, and I ended up um, into a waiting room, into a into a, a room that was had windows and cameras in it, and it was I think it was soundproof too, but uh, I was there. And then my parents showed up, I think, because they were worried about me because I was talking to them over the phone the week before, two days before. And um, they came by and my mother or my, my wife was there with the two kids. And um, and um, I wasn't, they, they didn't know what was going on. I was laughing hysterically and telling them about the business and everything else. And, and then... Uh, the doctor came in and asked me some questions and I was laughing hysterically at him and stuff. 
And he says, what do you think's wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. You're the doctor. You figure it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then uh, he left the room with my parents and wife and the kids, and they came back and said that was a clear case of bipolar disorder, uh-huh. manic episode. So they told me that, and I'm like, oh, what's that? And this and that. And, and then after they asked some questions, they they all said their goodbyes, and I waited in the waiting room for about, I think it felt like 30 minutes or so. But I was really, really entitled to do something very, very odd. So, so my name is named is I'm named after Michael the Archangel. So I had a little bit of you know background belief system as a child, raised as as Catholic that Michael the Archangel is a special figure in the Bible throughout time, throughout history in the Bible. And when I was in the waiting room, I felt like I had to go through history, like from the beginning of Adam and Eve's time throughout the, the very end to this present, well, to that present moment that I had to go through time. And, and it felt, it felt when I was doing this, it was like a meditation. So I was meditating and going through time back in history. So for example, we're, we're, um, say for example, Adam and Eve. So, when Adam and Eve were cast out of heaven, out of uh, paradise, um, that angel was Michael cast them out. So they would keep them from coming back. So I felt like I was in that moment. And then further path, going forward through the other moments, um, or also even at that time, telling, telling Adam and Eve that they will be promised a redeemer, but they could not come back to the garden. So then I was fast forward to Noah's Ark, um, telling Noah that uh, he had to build an ark and giving him the designs to build it. And then in World War II, where uh, Nazi Germany was at its, the greatest point of dominating Europe, um, putting messages into people's minds and, and um, ears to... Um, changed the time from that tragic time to a positive ending so and then same with this 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 episode of um the uh the global warming incident i felt like i had to be telling somebody about what we had to do to um to change that global effect so so after that whole process of meditating and uh doing a certain uh, things that they had a blanket I put over my head when I was meditating and then I'd take it off and be in a, in a moment of anger and frustrated of what was going wrong. And, and then when I was in the meditative prayer of forgiveness and letting go and letting God, God guide me through that next phase of, of uh, the story. So that was a, it was a really uh, deep, deep, um, psychosis which had a really big meaning and really big impact on me going through that process and um so after after that episode after being uh shipped from uh, red deer to pinoca that's when the medication started uh to uh be introduced so i started getting lethargic tired i ended up getting really really thirsty getting really Hungry again. I gained uh, probably about forty pounds in uh, three months, um, and very tired, very tired and sore, and 
And then I started realizing that all that stuff that was going through my head was not real. It was just um, hallucinations. And uh, so I felt ashamed. And then when they told me that was, what this bipolar was uh, a mental illness and uh, being being labeled mental illness, not too many people want to talk about that because it was uh, very stigmatizing, embarrassing, because you did things that were very abnormal and people didn't know how to deal with it they avoided you and looked at you weird and they didn't know what's going on so um so with myself going to the first stages of hospitalization and coming out i kind of hid in the bushes so when i got back to my house in Springbrook, i uh was medicated i seen the psychiatrist once uh twice a week and the therapist every uh or once or every two weeks too so with the therapist talking to the therapist it really opened up a lot of floodgates of emotions and and um guilt and shame and thinking that i could uh take take on the world's problems and and letting go of that and letting go of the my uh uh my my nature of being um um a people pleaser. That was one thing that I discovered about myself at that time was being a people pleaser because doing things for others made me feel good, but it was toxic to my health. So that's one thing I started noticing about my wife at the time is that she asked for anything and I never said no to her. So that was one thing that I started realizing about myself is that, that I was develop I was a people pleaser and I needed to do something about that so we uh you, is that year, common because you because you work is with that people. Common? yeah you work with you have a peer support group you you work with mm. individuals one-on-one is do you find people pleasing or the inability to say no is is common or something you find often in people with mental illness no no, no. not at all um okay. it's it's a special i would say it's a very special um I, I would say um, it's a unique trait. It's a unique trait. Everyone wants to give something, but always want something in return, right? Mm-hmm. Every time when someone gives something, they in in their mind they want to get something in return. So with being a people pleaser, um, you give entirely and not wanting nothing back, right? That in itself is toxic. It's like mm-hmm. a so, totally sacrificing yourself. Yeah, so just it's kind of like the image of Christ, right? Totally sacrificing himself and not getting anything back, right? Mm. So people pleasing is very it's it's dangerous. You gotta be careful with that. You have to learn to be assertive, set up uh, certain. You have to learn to when to give, when to give, and and who to give it to, right? Because mm-hmm. some people will find out that you are a giver, and they will use you until you, they suck you dry and then they'll kick you to the curb. So that's one thing. Um, with that, after um, being after being at home, we decided, me and my wife, we had a renter and uh, we had some more tragedy go through. Like the renter, the, the, the house that we rented out, it flooded in May. So we had to do a lot of rentals in the basement and uh, the renter wasn't very happy with that whole scenario. So there was a lot of arguing going back between my my wife and uh, and the renter, and it almost led to a lawsuit. 
until um, we we uh, got the uh, contractors in and started um, getting the work done as quickly as possible. And then when the the, the one year lease was up, which was in September, we did not uh, get back the damage deposit or anything like that when she left. So we were just thankful that she left in the first well when she left period. So we learned we learned some. I learned anyway some valuable lessons with um, individuals to other individuals too. So we decided to move to Rocky Mountain House afterwards, and that was in 2008. So I got a job lined up at another local bike shop and transferred everything over. We bought a house in February, got to work the week like, week after I moved, and see, things seemed to be back on track. Uh, I was on meds. I was still tired, a little over. I was overweight, um, but I was trying to do my best I could as a mechanic. But after, uh, I would say about seven months till September, I asked the doctor to slowly reduce one of the medications because I was so tired. I had a hard time getting out of bed in the mornings, and I was so hungry at night. So when I took the medication, it made me so hungry. I'd end up raiding the fridge from I don't know, 10, 11, 12 at night and I just so hungry and um, in the mornings I was so tired I can hardly get out of bed by 8, 8.30. I asked the doctor to reduce the meds and by September I ended up going into um, minor mania, minor psychosis. So I ended up, I come home from from work at lunch or my wife was in a bad mood and she was yelling at the kids. The kids were what, three, four, four, two and they were running around and and it kind of made me upset that she was in a bad mood. And, and I went to the church, local church, and I just stayed there all afternoon, just praying and meditating. And um, I was hearing sounds. And in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the Bible, it was talking about the seven trumpets blowing at the seven, the, uh, at the, in, the, uh, in the apocalypse, when it talks mm-hmm. about the seven horns blowing and the seven horsemen and all that stuff. So I was hearing sounds like trumpets blowing, Really, really deep, deep, deep trumpet sounds. Okay, that's in, the in Revelations. Like, yeah, in Revelations or or in um, maybe it's in Revelations. But anyway, so I was hearing these like the stuff that I read in the Bible and all that stuff we've been taught. Um, so those things are kind of coming to coming to reality, or in this alternate reality, this uh, psychosis I was going through, and um, so I felt like I was connected with God again. And uh, my mother ended up showing up at the church afterwards, probably about four or five o'clock. And she's asking me what I'm doing here, and I was like, "Well, I'm I'm getting ready to serve God again." So that's what I said to her. <laughs> and uh, so we left the church, and she took me home, and we walked home. And uh, I told Maria, actually, no, part of me. So my former wife um, was rushing to the church because she got a phone call from my employer saying that I didn't come back to work so she had an idea I was at the church so she came in and talked to my mom and she was in tears and I ended up going home and taking some meds more meds in the afternoon and I ended up laying on this in my bed and I was vibrating so much I wore holes on my sheet and um well that was very peculiar because they're really expensive sheets they're like I don't know, $500 sheets or whatever. <laughs> but anyways, I was just vibrating, tossing, turning so much, I wore holes in the sheets. And then eventually I ended up going to the Rocky Rocky Hospital and paced back and forth. And the, the, the local doctor there, the doctor on ER, 
gave me some more meds and they didn't work. I ended up spending the night up all night pacing up and down the hallways in the hospital. And, uh, I had this idea with water, this water, this idea of water, water being the, uh, the, the, the essence of life. So I, I thought, well, I had water on the porch. So I ran home and grabbed the water off the porch and ran back to the hospital before anybody knew that I was gone. I bought a case of water, like a 12 pack of water. And I know that water is hydrogen and oxygen. If we break hydrogen down, you can use that as a fuel source and oxygen is what we breathe. So I was finding a way to another solution for global warming. Instead of using natural gas, you can use hydrogen, hydrogen, the fuel to boil water to make steam for clouds. So, so these, these really bizarre ideas and, and I pursued those ideas. I started thinking about them more and more. So when I went to Pinocchio for the second time, I got really involved. It was in September. So the, the berries were out in the bushes and everything else. So I was really connected with nature. The birds were in the trees and I was meditating on the grass, doing yoga and just really connecting grounded. I was talking to some ladies about the chakras and everything else. And, and just really had a really good grounding that session that only was in there for two months. So it was pretty short, but very, very spiritual connection. And I didn't really hear, I didn't hear any voices or anything, but I felt, I felt their overwhelming presence being there. Um, I was a very, I didn't, I was like the best behaved patient there. I was really giving to a lot of people. Um, I learned to be assertive there too, because individuals at that time I smoked cigarettes. So the individuals that asked me down the hallways or anywhere else, if I had smokes and I learned to just to take one cigarette down there at a time. So I wouldn't be telling a lie. I'd say, I only have this one. And I wasn't lying. If I went down with a pack of smokes, I'd feel guilty. And I'd have to like tell give a lie. Them I don't like telling lies. <laughs> I give them all away. So I decided to walk one at a time. So I got my exercise walking back and forth. So, but, um, so I got out of the hospital. Oh, so when I was in the hospital, I was walking with my brother. My brother came and visited me and we were going through the bushes and walking and the, 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 outside and I was picking the berries off the bushes and eating them and he's like are you sure you should be doing that I'm like yes he said God created everything for us to use and utilize as long as we don't abuse it and take too much he says well this this is what we're supposed to do right we're at the top of the food chain we could eat anything we want <laughs> so, <laughs> so it really ought to be connected and thinking about God and how how we all perceive right how, how nature actually fit, fits in and heals us right so when I got released again, I was really connected with, with, uh, with God and the creation, right? Creates creatures, creation. And, um, I ended up going back to work back in, I think it was, let's see, it was September. So back in March. So I worked for another, another six months and my mental health started, uh, uh my mental health was all right. And, um, I was able to function and everything else work well and sleep all right. And, but there was a, an empty void in me at that time. Like I need to do something more. I need to do something more. There's like a, a calling, like I had to do something else. And my work performance was still the same. It wasn't very good. And I was more into a day, like a daydream. So, um, I ended up forgetting to do things like tighten up certain bolts and stuff. And, and, uh, 
they needed to, they started laying people off and they used me as a, another person to, to lay off but they used me to lay off on disability right so they said well you're taking longer than usual to work and stuff so I think you should talk to your doctor and go on disability again so they put me on disability I talked to my doctor I was really nervous and scared because I wasn't getting the same wages I was before mm-hmm. and my debts were getting higher and higher and um, so it really put me into a state of anxiety it's like what am I going to do now this only two bike shops in town and and I'm not fit for any of them so what am I going to do now and and I was really really worried and stressed out I ended up having panic attacks anxiety attacks and the doctor re-diagnosed me as bipolar with anxiety so they started giving me some other medication to deal with anxiety and I was struggling struggling and then I got a letter from the parish priest to serve to serve again right so a letter from the or the service guild, so the, the men and boys that serve mass. So I got this letter from the priest, and I took that as not just a sign to serve mass. I, I didn't actually serve mass after that, but I actually decided to serve God again in whatever means that he wanted me to do. So I um, started um, doing mowing lawns. I mowed lawns at the church, and then I started taking in work at my own garage so I put ads around town to fix quads and stuff so I was doing that and I was able to pay some of my debts and you know stay above water for a little while later and I was doing all right I was feeling good and then uh, my wife said to me says if you get sick again I'm going to leave you and that really crushed me it tore me apart it's like all the work that I've been trying to do you know working in the garage uh, like as much hours as I can and doing whatever I can for the church and other whatever making money mowing lawns for other neighbors and stuff and then she threw that in my face and I was like oh wow so I have nothing really nothing left to live for because I know it's a life it's a life illness life it's a life you knew illness. it wasn't going anywhere you couldn't make that promise yeah no no I couldn't couldn't stay exactly so that set me in a set of a set of depression so then I ended up turning I smoked cigarettes and I drank, I drank alcohol, uh, I drank alcohol, but then I started drinking more. So I started to go into a state of depression. So I was drinking more alcohol, which led into more depression. And I knew that was, that was in the back of my mind. So I tried to change that habit by drinking non-alcoholic beer, but that didn't work. So. I ended up drinking, it made me feel, it, it, the alcohol numbed the pain, basically the emotional pain, the, the hurt and the feelings that this 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 girl that you, you married and promised to be with her till you die and, and then she's ready to leave you behind and so mm-hmm. it really upset me and um, they had plans, my oldest, my, my brother-in-law bought tickets to go to Disneyland for the two sisters and their kids so they took the two older took my oldest daughter and went to Disneyland and and at that time I was in and out of psychosis I was crying in tears reaching out to uh, to God and to uh to what he wanted me to do and felt the hurt and pain and and I knew I said well all the stories say if you let that person go and if you really love them they'll come back they will come back right so so I accepted that fact that I'm going to get sick again and and we'll see what happens, right? I'll accept whatever, whatever God or 
God gives me, right? So I um I took the kids back from Cal I dropped my dropped my wife off in Calgary. I went to stay the weekend there and I came back with the two younger ones and um put them to bed. It was a Sunday night, put them to bed. I was driving erratically, I was laughing, I was like thinking all this things in my head and I was driving erratically and I kind of snapped in and out of it. I'm like, oh I shouldn't be doing this because I have my kids in my car and this and that. I gotta drive safe and keep them safe and and uh so I put them the kids to bed. We got to Cal Rocky. I I uh stopped at the local liquor store. No, I stopped at the gas station to buy cigarettes and I talked to a uh, a guy who was really, really drunk riding a motorcycle and I'm like, Oh my goodness, he's gonna kill himself and I offered to pay for his gas and there was just the way he was talking his breath smelled really like really bad with alcohol. I uh decided to run quickly over to the the liquor store right across the street and I told the the lady behind the counter that said, There's a guy that's junk as a skunk driving a motorcycle. I want to report him, turn it, report him into the police so he doesn't kill himself or kill anybody else. So I uh, memorized the license plate and told the description of the bike and the guy. And, and I was going to buy a six pack of beer and the lady gave me a six pack of beer for free. And I walked out with a piece of beer, a six pack of beer. So mm-hmm. I got home with the kids and, and fed them McDonald's and got them all. And I was, had the idea of burning alcohol, burning water again. So I was putting water and alcohol together and lighten it, and all, all of a sudden it all burn away or evaporate, right? So I was in and out of psychosis there. I was burning in in a um, baking pan, so it was on my deck, and I was putting all, rubbing alcohol with water and lighting it on fire, and it had a nice clear blue burn. Alcohol burns clear, but if you put water in it, it has has that uh, oxygen level, so it causes it to turn blue. So it was pretty interesting. It was a nice cool cool it wasn't hot it was a cool flame and, and it was pretty interesting so after i put the kids to bed and i had a cigarette and had a beer and went to bed and then i woke up three o'clock in the morning and um i was really really anxious i was looking at the clock and i was really uh pressured i felt like i needed to go outside and i went outside just to go have a smoke get some fresh air and I uh, see my neighbor's lights all on the house. The, the house is, all the lights were on. And there's no vehicle in the front of the house. And I was curious, so I put my jacket on and uh, went looking through the windows of the house. And I see nobody in there. And I seen in the porch or in the kitchen window that there was a, a light, like a lamp, like a candle with uh, wax on top burning. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, maybe that would catch on fire and burn the house down. So I went, looked through the front door, and then I knocked on the door, and nobody answered. And then I tried the door, and it was open. And uh, I opened up the door, and I I seen a, a, a wine glass busted with a broken with a paper or with a, a towel wrapped around it. And I got really, really scared. I was like, Oh my goodness, what happened here? And uh, all of a sudden, I had this overwhelmed presence of uh, evil, uh, evil presence, like something really scary. Like, you know, how you watch a horror movie or whatever mm-hmm. and you have the jitteries or, 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 or when you wake up in the middle of the night and you and you feel something that's there mm-hmm. or you have that, your finger or, or the, or in your skin, all your, all your hair is on, on edge or, the, mm-hmm. or that, uh, all that spooky stuff on the back, you know, like just, just scared. I just overwhelmed in that place. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. I had that sense of fear in me. And then, and then, uh, I went over to the, 
the candle to see what it was. And it was just a, it was just a lamp was melting uh, the the uh, wax to have that scented candle stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but just being in that being in that house is just filled me just full of fear and, and evil presence in there, and I felt like I had to do something. And um, then all of a sudden, I had that overwhelm that overwhelm feeling like like this is this is the this is the beginning this is the beginning of the battle the battle of of of, of of Michael the Archangel and, and, and Lucifer. Like this is the beginning. And um I didn't want the evil spirits to come out wherever they're coming from. And uh actually in the kitchen there was a, a little hatch door, you know, something like the horror movies. They have a little covert mm-hmm. in the wall and it was there and I just oh, yeah. felt like something was in there and it was my hair was on edge. I think the the devils are uh, Satan and and Lucifer and all his evil spirits are coming out that night, so I had to stop them. So I went into the uh, the bathroom which had the furnace in there, and I I took an aerosol can and a blow dryer, and I threw it in the toilet and I turned it on. And once I threw that to- that blow dryer in the toilet, that bathroom light, the whole lights in the house lit up like really bright. And I'm like, wow, this is really doing something. Like it's connecting, it's connecting with the sewer and all that, that ground, it's really grounding out like what's, what's, uh, that spiritual reality, right? So I was really like, whoa, I need, really need to get out of here. So that aerosol can was in there and I turned the gas, I turned the gas off in the furnace and I turned it back on hoping to have a, a gas leak. So when that aerosol can blew up, it would blow up the house and, uh, and stop that whole scenario. So being in such a deep psychosis, you didn't know what was reality and what wasn't. And then when I closed the lid of the bathroom, the toilet, I left and I closed that door. I was in the door ready to leave. And I said, and something hit me. It's like something was behind me, holding me. And it's like, Mike, all you have to do is turn around and unplug that blow dryer and just go back to bed or, there wasn't no or, but or, or or just run, just run, right? Had the choice to run or just unplug it and just stay, just just live your, just 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 deal with whatever choice you made, right? But this that presence, presence like looking at that door and just just feeling the images behind that door, ready to leap out kept me from going back inside that house and then i uh went to my house and all that overwhelming fear is like oh no that house is going to blow up catch on fire it's going to catch my house on fire and i have my two kids sleeping in their bedroom so i picked up my kids with their blankets and i took them walked them to a block to the church because that's the only place that i felt safe and when i was walking to the church i felt and seen evil spirits in the shadows of the bushes and stuff going to the church and making eerie sounds and they're really, really terrifying. And, um, and so I got into the church, I closed the door and locked it, but I couldn't be in the, the main area where all the people were. I had to go up to the front where the altar and stuff were. And I put the kids underneath the statue of Jesus and I kicked open the, the door where the sac, the sanctuary sacristy was. And I put a, a garment over the window so nothing can see me so it 
they wouldn't find find out where I was. And I took big, big um, novel candles and lit them and put them in the room there. And I started doing uh, an offering, a sacrifice, or meditating, praying for the just for that four hours to go by because it was about three, like I said, three three thirty, and the kids were sleeping fine, and I checked on them, they were fine. And then I read some passages in the the books that they read from the Bible and stuff. And I was thinking about the, some of the stuff about Michael the Archangel. And I was getting very angry and frustrated. It's like, why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you, you know, doing, you know, you know, guiding me through this, this psychosis or anything? And there's a statue of Michael the Archangel above the altar. And I looked and I found a, a pointed, uh, um, rod and I got mad and I threw it at him, hoping to break, break the statue and releasing, releasing him from being an idol into a spirit. I did miss. But there's a hole in the wall from the church. There's a hole in the wall. <laughs> so, um, so just being in that big, deep psychosis and going through that whole that whole episode. And I did find um, did the there was also, up? no, it didn't blow up. Okay. Um, no, that's one thing. Thank God it didn't blow up. But um, so I uh, so I waited, waited till the morning came up, the sun came up, and I felt an overwhelmed peace of, Peace and calm. I'm like, oh my goodness, the the darkest nights, the dark, the darkness yeah. is gone, right? It's gone. I can, I can come out of the church. I can clean up. I cleaned up. I made a little bit of a mess in the church, so I cleaned, I cleaned it all up as best I could, and I left the church doors open, wide open, just letting know that a sign of resurrection that that I'm ready to face whatever comes towards me and take on, take on this challenge of of whatever whatever path that I've been put on so i uh went home with the kids the kids walked home with me and we got our clothes on and we cried a little bit and i told them we have to go to the police station and uh we went to the police station and it was eight o'clock in the morning and i got there and they were wondering what was going on i told them everything and they started reading out my rights and i said i don't care about my rights this has to be told right now or this house is going to blow up so i got into the uh interview room with the kids and the kids were, I was holding Evelyn, she fell back asleep and Benjamin was playing in the corner with his Star Wars guy. And um I talked to the, the officer and I told him everything that was racing through my mind. I had racing thoughts, flights of ideas, pressured speech. I was in and out of mania and psychosis and he didn't know how to handle it. <laughs> by the uh so by the end of that, uh they called my parents. My parents told him, yeah, he's bipolar. And like, oh, wow, okay. We never dealt with that before. And uh, so the parents, my parents took my kids. And then uh, I am going to Rocky Hospital. They put me on some meds and waited for an ambulance. And the officer was eventually talking to me, but he was so emotionally stressed out that he was in tears. And I said, are you crying? And he's like, no, I got something in my eye. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't think so. <laughs> but um so once I got in the ambulance I ended up in Pinocchio again or the Centennial Center this time they warned me that I'd have to go to court and they got some papers filed and stuff and my wife came back from Disneyland and she did not talk to me at all she actually tried to invoke provoke me to get angry so she can record me to prove that I was or to say that I was violent towards her 
but I was so heavily medicated that I couldn't even talk straight. And so that didn't go anywhere with her. But by the time I got out of uh, the hospital, she left uh, a month, a month or two months later. And I started going to court right after that, which was very hard. It was very, my anxiety levels were through the roof. I was living with my parents at the time. Um, the house was empty. Um, the neighbors were throwing stuff in the yard and stuff. So I was dealing with that. And after a year with the court, they deemed me NCR, which was criminally non-responsible due to a mental disorder. Took it into an institute correctional facility <clears throat> in Calgary. I spent six months in there and I uh, was granted privileges along that way. But I knew uh, when I first got there, I said, this is where I'm going to rebuild my life again. And I talked to my the psychiatrist. Psychiatrist talked to me, did the interviews, and Mike, why are you here? And I said, I'm here for a tune-up. I know what's wrong. I know what I'm going to have to do. I just need time to do it. And just dealing with the guilt and shame again, which was very, very overwhelming. And now I had to make restitution for what I did, not to my wife, not only to her, but mostly to a new person, my neighbor, <clears throat> which was hard. So once I got out of the institution, I was brought into a group home and, um, which did me did good. I had to do random urine drug screening. I had to do breathalyzer tests to make sure I wasn't doing drugs or alcohol, which was good. And um, I eventually started going to group meetings at the Sheldon Schumer Hospital in Calgary, and that's when the uh, recovery started taking place. So I slowly started healing by telling my story over and over and over and over again and just analyzing I would tell it more in detail and more in depth every time when I told it it got me thinking and every time when I told it I felt a sigh of relief afterwards so really letting 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 go of the the guilt and shame and after the six months being in the group home I was discharged again back to Rocky Mountain House <coughs> to see how to see how I would act in the community so when I was in the group home, I told the nurse that I was overweight, I was tired, and I smoked like a chimney, and and um, I didn't want that. I didn't want that anymore. And um, the one nurse said, "Well, you can go to the primary care network, and you can see a dietitian there, and and go from there, right?" So I decided when I got to Rocky Mountain House a month or two months later, I started seeing a dietitian. I actually was did some workshops first through the primary care network. Then I was curious about crystals and tea, so I started going to tea rocks, and um, that recovery started taking place. So I was curious not just about the, um, I was curious about how crystals, meditation, nat natural substances that could help um, alleviate some of the symptoms and early warning signs and anxiety issues with mental health, right? Mm -hmm. So I got involved with some of the teas. I'd take the teas every night before bed and help me soothe my nerves. I dish on top of the medication that I was taking. So I'd, I'd take the the tea and make sure it's okay to take with the with the medication I was on. And um started doing that. And the meditation 
meditations in the afternoon. At lunchtime, I'd have lunch and then I'd meditate for 45 minutes, listen to Wayne Dyer, Dr. Wayne Dyer, any, anything I can get on my hands on to, like anything that I was listening to spiritual, like Greg Braden and then the other, the other two, Joe Dispenser and, and, um, Bruce Lipton. So just individuals like that, right? So, and yeah. also others, other, yes, go ahead. Um, you referred to meditation and prayer before, and you're referring to yeah. it again, but it's, it feels different. So did it shift? Did your meditation practice it did. shift? It did. It did. It from sorrow to exploring. So I had to let go of the, the self-sacrificing. Like it was not about self-sacrificing. It was not putting myself last. It's, it was now in the process of rebuilding. Like there was nothing left. There was nothing left of Mike Fillinger after the incident. There was huh, nothing left. Cool. Okay. He was, he was dead and buried. Um, so I had to do something for myself, which was to get better. So with that, with the primary care network, I got involved with a supervised exercise program, which lasted two months. So I learned the basics on routine, like going to the gym, um, three days a week. Um, eating uh, a balanced diet, uh, exercising, walking, um, pro- reprogramming my mind, putting positive things inside of my mind instead of negative things. And that's, there was a lot of negative things too because the wife left and she wasn't going through a very good time. So she was spewing out her negative emotions upon me and, and stuff. And I had to deal with that. So uh, the divorce lasted five years, which was very expensive and very emotionally disturbing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was very grateful because all through this whole process, there was always signs, always, always something that God put there that I needed. So, for example, I knew that I was going to go through divorce and I was looking through the books at the group home and they had a book on how to deal with emotions of divorce how to deal with the emotion of <laughs> divorce. So I read that book. I soaked it up. So the whole process of being going through divorce for five years, it did wonders for me. I took it. I used that book's principles and guidelines to a T, and uh, I turned out for the better with that. So was it more uh, once you let go of the guilt and the shame, or once you started to work through the guilt and the shame, you were able to see it as, a foundation to build anew. Yeah, yes, definitely. Yeah. Because I didn't, not necessarily, I may have embarrassed my former wife, but I, I offended somebody else that was, um, that was, that did no wrong. I, mm-hmm. I, I was, I, I turned into a monster. I, I hurt somebody else that did not deserve to be hurt. Not at all. And I really felt really, really, really affected me. And like, I need to make reparation for the the wrong that I did, even though I was not even in my, the right state of mind. mind. But I took that, I took that responsibility that I'll never let that ever happen again. And so with that physical activity, I started feeling better. My moods lifted. I started losing weight and she was watching she never she always avoided me but she was always knew where i was and what i was doing and after from 2000 and what was it 2014 i got to rocky so about 2015 so about a year she approached me and wanted to go for coffee 
and talk. And I said, I can't. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm still under, I'm still under a warrant and there's no, there's uh, a policy that I cannot make no contact with you until the warrant is up. So I had to wait for another um, 2017. So 2017, I finally got off the warrant. But backing up to that point, she knew that I was making changes with myself, getting better and healthier and, and, and so on and so forth because she had friends that I talked to and her friends relayed the messages to her. So um, then that's where the peer support started taking into place. So when I got back to Rocky, I knew how good I felt by going to the meetings in Calgary. I'd still go to the meetings once a month in Calgary and eventually got involved being a peer support worker by taking some courses. And then I eventually started hosting meetings in Rocky Mountain House at the Christian Reformed Church from 2016, 17. And then I moved uh, moved the meeting in the Rocky Library 2018. And now we're running it again this year, 2019. And um, the first year was pretty good. We had curious people. So we always have one or two, up to 12 people at one point. The second year was really hard for me. I had nobody show for four months and I was wondering why am I doing this? I mean, there was a dry spell. Nobody, nobody, nobody was coming. Nobody was showing. And I'd read the flyers and the brochures and stuff. And I was thinking, what am I going to do? And what I got out of the flyers and brochures is that to, to, to maintain good mental health was to be physically active, eat healthy and be involved with uh, group support, right? So developing a support system, right? And mm-hmm. I said, well, that's what I have to, that's what I can do. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I didn't go to school for, you know, umpteen years, but this is what I can do. I've got lived experience. I, I'm taking care of myself. I can show other people how to do the same. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so, <laughs> so that's, that's that. So once I started doing better and my trainer, I got her to, write programs for me every two to three months and then she said why don't you become a trainer i was like okay i will so within a week later i signed up did some courses through state the aflca personal training sessions and started that journey of becoming a personal trainer by the time 2018 rolled by i uh started a business through um the town officer they had a rbc I think it was RBC yeah. entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. So um started that. I got focusing more on the personal training aspect. So I had clients that funded the business. I had to get insurance. And then I started developing, started slowly developing the structure of the recovery system. So the group meetings were starting to get a little bit more. I was getting involved with the community uh, the personal training was work and then trying to focus on the outdoor adventures. So I'd take my clients out on a day hike on a Saturday or Sunday and talk about mental health. And so the peer support, personal training and outdoor adventures fit like a glove. So just everything went hand in hand mm-hmm. and uh, just slowly developed working that. And, uh, and then my wife, my former wife seen how, how I was doing and everything else. And she was attracted to me again. And uh, I started talking to her and, and going on dates and stuff, and and uh, it seemed all right. But there was something about her that she wouldn't let go. There was stuff hidden that she wouldn't, she wasn't open about. 
So that put a barrier up to me to really connect with her. And I realized that the relationship was starting to turn toxic again. So eventually I had to either continue being, (coughs) I had to decide either to work on that relationship or work on what I was doing as a peer support worker. What, what was more, more valuable and meaningful for me. And I decided that being a peer support worker would do so much more good for people and for the community than it was to try to be um, the husband that I was before that could lead to another episode, right? Another, another uh, breakdown of mental health. So I decided to continue on with the peer support to personal training side of things, which was good. She was upset, but she eventually got over that. So, um, so as of, um, last year, um, just moving forward now, just, um, doing a grant, got a grant in place, doing a pilot project now for the government and for the community. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, I did a talk on mental health, uh, my story at Olds in September and just getting the word out on there's hope and there's recovery. There's work to be done, but if you're really looking for, looking, looking to reach out, um, there's always somebody out there to, to find that help, right? To get that help. So just like, um, if you can't see the light, it's not necessary. You can't. If you can't see the light, you, you still got your hands to reach out for something, right? It may be scary because it's dark and spooky, but you still got your hands to follow the ground, the walls, you know. But you'll eventually get out of that that dark state of mental health, right? That poor mental health. Actually, if you keep moving forward, if you keep moving forward, even if it's you know very slimy or gross or scared, you can't you can't see or fearful but if you keep moving forward you know where you were you know where you were how you felt before you're doing well before you got sick you can always look back and say i want to feel like that again how do i feel like that again or you can look forward and say i don't want to feel like i feel now what do i have to do to feel better and Mm -hmm. everybody has that answer in themselves just look within yourself there will be answers. All the answers are within ourselves. We always want, all of us want to feel good. We all want to do good. And we all want to be good. So we have to look within ourselves to re, to to find those answers. So for myself, when I was looking inside myself, I discovered things like for my defects in my life, whereas, like I said earlier, <coughs> a people pleaser, I was a yes person and a perfectionist. So and that led to toxicity. So once I discovered that in myself, learning to say no, being assertive, not saying yes all the time, and being uh, avoiding to be so perfect, everything... <laughs> like I said earlier, like I said earlier to you guys at the at the lunch table, um, God is creative. He's not He's not orderly. He's creative. He designs things. Not everything that you look at is perfectly structured. Mm-hmm. There's always a special design that's never the same. Like even snowflakes, not <laughs> one snowflake is the same. And how is that possible when there's so much snow on the ground? There's got to be one the same. Or even like our fingerprints. 
There's how many millions and billions of people out there. Over the centuries, every single fingerprint is different. And now even what um, Bruce Lipton said about genetics uh, that I just heard recently, even our organs, like when you do an organ transplant, mm-hmm. you have to take meds so that your body does not kill that new organ. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. I had a friend who had a yeah. double lung transplant once and was having someone else's memories. Yeah, so there you go. See? So that's, that's what I'm saying. Each one of us, each one of us is designed to do certain, to do certain tasks in this, in this reality. We all have gifts and talents and we have to develop those gifts and talents. The only way we're going to develop them is to reach within and to connect with God, right? The creator. He, it fuels us. I can't even say he because there's no gender, but anyways, it has to, it fuels, it feel, it fuels us. It inspires us. It lights us on fire, right? So, so yeah, so with this mental health crisis that we're going through, um, we have to all get grounded. We have to, we have to be more conscious of what we say and do. We have to slow things down. Slow things. Um, rather slow things down and, and, and think of, because this reality is changing. It's affected me. 15 years ago, but now it's affecting everybody else. Like back then, mental health was not even talked about and nobody was doing anything about it or anything. They just just put you on pills and that was it. When I first got into the Centennial Center in Pinoca, I knew I had to exercise because that's how I felt in the past. I knew that made me feel good. That made me sleep good. I was able to take stress on. When I was at the Centennial Center, no, but there was a there was a personal trainer that only came once a week when they should have had that every day. And the gym room was like a twelve by fifteen room. It was small. It had one treadmill there and uh a row of dumbbells and that was it. I mean, there was no there's no equipment, no facility set up for that. And but one time we there was a group of us, we played floor hockey there. Best night of our lives we had mm-hmm. there we had we had what was it now well 10 and 10 i guess five 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 and five so 10 people playing floor hockey we played for two hours and we felt great like mm-hmm. all of us were laughing having a good time we we're all our sportsmanships were good our our language was good and everything it was just amazing and we wanted to do that again but we never did could meet up and do that again because the doctors and the, the nurses and stuff didn't, didn't make that schedule line up. So mm-hmm. that was a sad thing. It's, so this is why I'm promoting this now, like the physical activity, the nature, natureful healing adventures, the peer support um, meetings. So it all, it all goes hand in hand. Yeah, keep them occupied. Oh, the same with the jails too, right? My, yeah. <laughs> but the people, the people in jails, like they have nothing, nothing to do all day. But when they, their gym time is like their holy sacred time, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody's misbehaving in the cells or whatever, those, those guys tell that, don't tell those individuals, if you don't smart up, we're going to beat the crap out of you so you don't lose our gym time, mm-hmm. right? So that's their sacred, that's their sacred spot is the gym because this, the natural endorphins, the natural chemicals in the brain, um, when, when you're exercising, you're concentrating, you're focusing and you're going to that structural, uh, 
pain or that muscle deterioration, right? And then afterwards, when your body's sending those chemicals like the painkillers and stuff to your brain, that makes you feel good, it makes you feel relaxed. Your heart rate comes down, right? After a certain mm-hmm. stress of the physical activity, you come down, right? So my brother-in-law uh, was diagnosed with bipolar, and he would come home and he was driving truck and he would work out for hours and it was intense like he would punish himself physically and i think it was for that deterioration and the chemicals that were released after but he um he didn't make it so he ended up passing away yeah sorry to hear that but yeah that's the that's the that's the that's one of the key things right meditating like when you're in a state of like depression, that's it's it's good to reflect, right? To reflect on where you were, where you came from, and where you want to go, mm-hmm. right? And, but as long as you still have that hope and you still stay connected with somebody or some a group of people, right, that, that are like-minded. Mm-hmm. So when I when I started doing that peer support, I'd go to the I'd go to the group homes even after I was discharged, and I'd go visit the guys there. Now I take them out for walks. I take them out for coffee and walk them, walk the malls or take them out to movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, just start dream building, right? Like, what do you see? What do you want to do when you get out of the hospital? Or where do you want to get out? What do you want to do when you get out of the group home? You know, and just start setting those goals. So, um, it's true though that no one was really talking about it. Like even with my brother-in-law he would go to seek help and they'd be like, oh, he's in a manic state and just kind of send him home. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I'm yeah, glad that you're nobody is, Yeah, nobody's listening. Nobody was listening at that time, but now now that things are slowly changing, and the reason why it's changing is because there's so, so many now, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's right. We, got, we have a lot of people that have fallen through the cracks right now. That's why mm-hmm. we have uh, so much real crime going on right now, too, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, an addiction, like if you don't know you're ill, you're going to medicate with other things. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like in the, for myself, like just getting involved with mm-hmm. alcohol, using that as a, as a, as a medica- uh, self-medicating, right? Marijuana. There's three things that my psychiatrist told me that triggers mental illness. is stress, alcohol, and drugs. When you start abusing, using them, like in, under stress, mm-hmm. if you don't, unplug or de-stress you won't sleep you'll have poor sleep so when you start having poor sleeps you'll be overtired over exhausted your body your mind is trying to keep up with chemicals to keep you balanced keep you functioning and eventually you'll end up breaking down you'll get stressed out you'll start having anxiety panic attacks you'll get depression what's the point of life i've experienced that already with my own experience the first time the first time was stress related this, uh, the second time was um, medication reduction and stress. The third time was is, uh, um, self-medication. Mm-hmm. So just going through that experience um, of knowing all three of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, for my own lifestyle, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I avoid Were you a coffee. heavy smoker for years? Yeah, for years, since I was 18. So I quit and you no coffee? There. I have coffee in the morning, but maybe one or two cups, but I don't, I don't have coffee like I used to, like all the time. And when I do make coffee, I make it at home. I don't go buy coffee. And if I do buy coffee at night, it's usually, it's 
all the time decaf yeah. so but just be aware like just be aware wake up wake basically up just, <laughs> wait, yeah, just wake up just basically wake up from this 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 uh reality of that of comfort this reality of uh materialistic and reach up like this this is an alternate reality but if you can tap into both of them and not be in such a state of of spirituality that leads to psychosis or into this reality of of materialistic that leads to anxiety mm-hmm. find that balance between you know uh spiritual life and this physical life right because this this life is is mostly it's it's a lesson it's a life lesson right this this life is a journey everyone says life is a journey it's what we pick up and learn to the life that we'll take into the next so um my motto is to live give and let go so if you're if you're if you're not living well learn to live better if you're not giving learn to give because that's another way of making yourself feel feel like you're doing something for for creation with when you give and letting go letting go of the experience letting go of negative like stuff that you judge negative experiences that hurt you just let them go and release them like let go of that guilt and shame like it was a life lesson it hurt but you can use that as a lesson to grow and share that so the next generation of other individuals you're working with uh understand that so they don't do the same thing right that's that's so, really valuable to not only somebody that's going through problems to know your story but also people that don't understand what's going on with other you know with another individual just to hear your yeah. story and so they can understand you know the difficulties that the that somebody might be facing Oh yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, even yeah, for the people that uh, don't, that didn't deal with the uh, the psychosis or the mania and stuff, like early warning signs, like the lack of sleep, the the being irritable, the uh, the rapid speech, even the pressured speech when when you when someone's talking to you and always butting in all the time and and making getting frustrated at you for for not for you not listening to them, right? Mm-hmm. That's early warning signs of mental illness right so when when that when that rises from an individual just be patient and calm and uh pay attention and let them let them say what they need to say in a safe manner and keep them calm eventually that will pass once they're done talking right but if you react if you act if you react in a negative situation or a negative negative way or whatever then they'll get up like they'll start judging you and then they could lead to being violent, right? So just let them stay calm. let them talk, let them let them talk and stay calm, and uh, and eventually they'll get what they say. But if they're if they're pressuring you in a corner or whatever, just say you're you're just be honest with them and just say you're actually scaring me for you're actually scaring me, and uh, you're making me feel unsafe around you, and eventually. Uh, if they don't come to terms with that, then that's a state of emergency then. And that's when you call call in the emergency and, and to, to deal with that, get into mm-hmm. safe place. Because usually there's, there's ways you can listen to them and talk them down. 
or if they don't accept that, then then it's time to take it to emergency emergency uh, state, right? Call nine one one. A lot of food for for thought in this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was looking at your website. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at your website. You've got you've got your story on there, and you've got you've got a lot of good stuff on there. The top ten reasons to hire a personal trainer, for instance. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you got your Kickstarter program. It looks like you've got. I know it's really laid out good. If anybody's looking for this website, it's under themanicmechanic.ca. It's really easy to find. Yeah, for sure. Themanicmechanic.ca. Yes, and. uh, if you want to contact me in person, you can email me at mike.fillinger, F-I-L-L-I-N-G-E-R, at semanticmechanic.ca, or you can call at 403-844-2929. And I'm hoping to not only just do this in Rocky Mountain House, but do it all across Alberta and expand all across Canada and, and wherever it needs to go, right? My goal, my ultimate goal is to help individuals recover from their help them recover, get them trained to be peer support workers so they can do the same thing that I do as to support individuals to help develop support systems in place, work with the professionals, the doctors, the physicians, um, the nurses, with their local pastors or spiritual leaders, and also build friendships between other people that are have the that are struggling with the same uh, same uh, symptoms, right? That's right. So, it's less lonely. Well, that's the biggest thing is if you have a friend that's going through the same thing, you could talk. You have something to talk about. And the biggest thing right now is not talking about it, right? So okay. that's why I've hosted meetings at the libraries because they're very open. There's a lot of involved, a lot of crosstalk, a lot of support. Like if you hear, let's say, um, Kyla, you told um, me something, or you told. Yeah, let's say you, you're talking to me, you're focusing more at me telling me your story, but you had, let's say, other eight other individuals listening to you. You told your stories to eight different people in eight different ways. Mm-hmm. So you told me your your story. I'd give you my, how I heard the story, but you would get another eight different ways uh, how that story was heard. And hmm. you'd have different different angles of looking at your story, right? This is like watching it's like watching a movie over and over again. You pick up something else that you didn't see, right? Mm-hmm. But it's all it's all at once. So instead of watching it over and over again or hearing it over and over again, you heard it all at once at one meeting. And that's what I really love about the meetings is when I go when I did go in Calgary, um, eventually the story was change. It was always changing. I give more details and stuff that that I didn't share at that time. So they ha- they had different aspects of looking at things, and eventually the story got better. It started going into recovery. It started talking about positive things, more yeah. exciting things. Yeah. And it really and when I kept, when I was going there, showing up there, all had smiles on their faces. Knew that they're gonna hear an amazing story. What I did that whole month. That's right. So. It really brought a big positive change in recovery for that group too. When somebody comes in with a big smile on their face, uh, that means they did something amazing that week or that month, right? And they're just dying to tell you how a good thing it happened, right? And that makes everybody else smile too, right? So, do you think that this is made to I, 
a better communicator? Like, oh, to yeah. truly express yeah. yourself? Because that's oh, yeah, what I value. Sure. Like, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, oh, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Like, thank you for You're having welcome. the courage yeah. to talk about something. Like, the things you shared with us are not easy easy things to share and you did deliver your story you can tell the work you've done on the story and changing it and watching it change shape and move more towards recovery and inspiration and empowerment and love and it's yeah i hope it encourages more people and especially men like i know i'm always praising the brothers but um yeah men really need this for sure just to get in this to get connected yeah. They're talking about their struggles, right? Because I believe that men always show their tough and rough sides, but um, when you show your vulnerable sides too and also have that tough and rough side, that person may want to take a punch at, take a stab at your, at your soft side, but you'll always have that strong side to, to deflect it, right? It's just like, it's just like, just like a sword and shield, right? Just like a sword and shield, right? The sword is very, very vulnerable. It doesn't have a wide, a wide range of protection, but it, 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 it gets to the point, right? Your vulnerability gets to the point and, and your strength with the development of personal development, your self-discipline, everything else is your shield, right? It will protect you. The routines and habits will, will protect you from your relapsing or, or getting back uh, relapsing or, 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 um, into a state of crisis again. Right. So, um, just, uh, I hope just, the brothers are listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need, we need a, a we need a, a good, a good, um, do you feel like for... it's made you feel more manly to really truly understand the power of vulnerability and like, do you think there, or do you feel as though there was a point in time where it, yeah, well, you answered it. The fear, the fear of being vulnerable and open. Well, back in the day, it was it did always show the tough side of me when I was younger. Before, like yeah. I was, I was a very, I was like every other man, always rough and tough, and talked about what the cool things I did and how strong I am and worked out and all that <laughs> other stuff. But like when when you get when you get broadsided by mental illness and and hiding that, hide, it's hard to hide mental illness, especially when it rapidly like Mike's been in the hospital where'd he go he was been in the Centennial Center oh that's where all the crazy people go yeah mm -hmm. you yeah, know it's like it's, it's it's having like a big kick me in the back sign right walking around right so um well once once I said enough is enough like I want to be able to my one of my goals back in the day was to remove the stigma of mental health I don't care what people think or say I know that what I went through is scary as hell, but going through that and, and coming out on the other side right now, I'm sitting on an island right now holding a coconut drink in my hand, watching the scenery <laughs> while everyone else is on this crowded, crowded continent with sharks between A the panic. island and the continent, you know, <laughs> I swam, I swam through the sharks. I swam through the shards, so I'm on this beautiful island with all this gorgeous luxuries and connection with nature and everything else. So I, I'm here already. I'm I'm on the island of of luxury. So like, you know I where you're at. Any, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know where I'm at. I'm centered. I'm 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 in a I'm I'm in a really great spot. So 
Well, we'll, good, like, hope we'll have to we'll have to work on getting those other people over there. That's right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, for sure. That's good. We're gonna have to do a follow up interview, maybe here. So. No, for sure. If you want to, definitely. Yeah, we should see. We again. should see where your uh, where your program that you're working on goes in a yeah. in a few months. See see what your progress is. Yeah. That's, oh, that'd yeah. be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Yeah. So my motto. So, so my uh, my motto is uh, the manic mechanic putting life back into gear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's put life back in the gear. So we're all broken and something seized up. Let's get it working again and put it back in the gear. Okay, well if yeah. anybody's interested in getting a hold of you, they can look for you at themanicmechanic.ca for for mental health or for just also for uh for uh personal, personal trainer. Personal correct? training, yeah. Yeah, personal trainer and natureful healing adventures. So in the summertime, I'm launching uh, outdoor adventures, so horseback riding, group hikes, canoeing, and more. So I'm going to be networking with um, the tourist tourist guides out in the west country of Rocky Mountain House and Nordig and Canmore and Banff, and getting things set up. So a group of a group that goes through the the Nature for Holding Adventures will have a a peer support worker with them on their horseback rides or their group hikes. So so if you've got anxiety issues and you want to get out west but you're kind of afraid to, uh, uh, a peer support worker will be there to help you, myself or other people that I get trained to work. So, A person with anxiety? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, get sure. that. Well, and as as somebody that really thinks everybody should get out into wilderness, I think that's awesome because one of my yeah one of my things. Okay, yeah, well, for sure. thanks a lot, Mike. Yeah, thank you, and hey, thanks thank everybody you for listening. Thanks, hey. Carla. Thanks, Tim. I'll be happy to do it again. Wonderful. Okay. Have a good evening. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. Goodbye, you guys.